Well, good morning, everyone. We are going to begin a new series this morning entitled Great. Over the next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at the great commandment that Jesus gave us and also the great commission. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 22 and join me there. And I will begin by reading that passage of Scripture. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. At the heart of the great commandment is love. And so you're here this morning, uh, follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, uh, churchgoer, not a churchgoer, never been or maybe back after a long time, uh, senior, teenager, teenager, um, my suspicion is that no matter who you are, love is actually pretty important to you. And I tested my theory this week just looking at the recent Grammy uh, Awards and the songs nominated for top song of the year. And I'm not endorsing any of these songs, but here's some of the words that you will see, all the stars. I mean, how does it begin? Love. Let's talk about love. Boot up. Heads over heels in love right in front of you. I want to build this love. God's plan. Now, this is not out of the Bible. Just be assured of that. She say, do you love me? I tell her only partly. In my blood, all about feeling anxious and, and needing others to come around and support. The middle, obviously, about a physical relationship. And, of course, most or many of you will be familiar with the song Shallow, which won uh, best pop uh, song by a group or duo. Uh, Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga. Uh, Lady Gaga herself says the, the movie it came out of, A Star is Born, was a love story. And this song is a, is a love song. And she says, people hear this song and they cry. Why? Because it's about a man and a woman truly listening to one another and then connecting with one another at a deep level. See, this is, this is at the heart of us. Somehow we, we yearn, we long to connect with another person in a relationship, especially of love at a deep level. Now, this begins early in our life, and, and maybe it's more infatuation than love. I mean, I can think of my experience growing up in grade 8. There was Shelly. I mean, I uh, thought about her, thought about Shelly a lot. Thought of, she had no idea, but I thought about her at night, you know, watched her during school. Of course, moved on from Shelly, didn't tell her anything about it. Uh, grade, um, grade 11, I had some friends who were in grade 12, and, you know, I, I really liked Linda, and then I liked Carol, and then I liked Carol, and then back to Linda. And um, <laughs> never told them about it, but it, it was there. And so I, I think this idea of relationship, deep relationship, deep connection and further true love is something that's within us. And I think when we look at the biblical story, we would expect exactly that. 
So here at Central Heights, every week we look at the Bible because we believe that it has something to tell us about how life really works and how we can live our lives in a way that works. And as we read the very first book in the Bible, Genesis, there's a creation story there. And one of the things that it tells us is that mankind is created in God's image. And as you read along in this story, you discover that the God whom we are to image is a God who is characterized by love. In fact, God is said to be love. And so it follows that we were created to know and to experience love. We are hardwired for this, and so we yearn for it. We, we desire it. We seek it. We write songs endlessly about it. We hear those songs and hear them again and hear them again. We sing those songs, and we reward people for their songs about love. We were hardwired for it. So good so far. But you know the, the line in one of those songs, looking for love in all the wrong places. So often in our search for, for that meaningful connection, real love, the love we dream about, we end up being hurt. We end up being disappointed and wounded. And you might even be here this morning, and that's you right now. Something that's happened recently, or maybe you're right in the middle of it now. And love has brought you much pain. C.S. Lewis, you might be familiar with him. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He also wrote a book called Four Loves. And in it, he talks about three loves that are fairly natural for us. There's an affection kind of love. There's a friendship kind of love. And there's a love called eros, which can be sexual, but not necessarily. And he says all these three loves, they're significant and they're necessary. It's just that they are not enough. How is it in a, in a world where we're, you know, we think about love, we, we sing it, you know, we talk about it, we yearn for it. How is it that we could be in a world where it seems sometimes like there's so much deficit of love? Well, Lewis would say there's a, there's a higher love, the fourth love, which is modeled and exists purely in God. God, who exists in relationship as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is in a perfect love relationship. And out of their love, they have poured out love into humanity in a specific time of history through the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has made it possible for us who would rightly be separated from God, if you know the story at all, because of the way we rebel against God, the way the, the scripture uses the word sin, the way we sin against God, we would rightly be separated from him forever. But God has poured out his love through Jesus Christ, coming into human flesh, becoming like us, living a perfect life, dying on a cross for our sin, rising from the dead for victory over sin, death, and Satan, rising to the right hand of the Father as the ascended victorious king, he has made it possible for every person to come into a right, loving relationship with God. God made the first move. Now, when I had these crushes on these girls in school, I just couldn't bring myself to make that first move. Um, when you make that first move and you let the other person know, hey, I really like you, you're putting yourself out there to be potentially rejected. It makes you vulnerable. No, if they haven't communicated back to you, 
you got to make that first move. Well, we never have to wonder with God whether he likes us. We never have to wonder far beyond that whether he loves us. Because God made the first move in his son, Jesus Christ. God first loved us through his son. I was speaking to a friend this week. We were talking about this great commandment. And she said to me, the one thing in her walk with with God as a Christian that has influenced her so much is the knowledge that God pursued her. She didn't grow up in a Christian home, I believe, but, but understood, looking back, how God had pursued her through people and circumstances, wooing and drawing her to him. And even now, as a follower of Jesus, how she can see how God is continually pursuing her and drawing her in to understand and know him better in a deeper love relationship. This is what God desires for us. So when the, when the lawyer asks, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, it's all about love. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now when you hear the word commandment, I know for some of you, that's a, that's a word that makes you cringe, right? Like commandment sounds so harsh. Uh, it speaks of law. It... Um, speaks of someone forcing their will on you, but when you understand that God is all-powerful, all-sovereign, that he's also all-good, anything that God would command would be for our best. So when the lawyer asks this question, what he's actually asking is, what is the best thing for us? Or what is the best thing that we should do? Jesus, in hearing the lawyer who, by the way, has not come to him sincerely. He's come to test him. Jesus has been gaining a notoriety amongst people. His following has been growing, and this is uh, really concerning to the elite of his day. They don't like it, and so the lawyer comes to test him. By asking him this question, he is hoping that Jesus will pick a law, and everybody else or, or a large segment of people will be offended by that. Jesus' following will diminish as a result of this. But Jesus answers him by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is a rehearsal of the law that Moses gave to the first generation of the people of Israel and then rehearsed it before the second generation, before they would go into the promised land. And after Moses has rehearsed some of the law, Moses says these words in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. The Jews referred to this as the Shema, the word here, Shema. And they would repeat this as they were instructed to repeat this on a daily basis. It identifies, it reminds them that they are serving one God. And that the way to to live in relationship with this one God begins with this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is what we want to focus on this morning. Loving God with all our heart. You know, um, in our world, in our culture, so much of the way we live, it's just there's so much emphasis put on appearance, isn't there? Like image is, is huge. 
you, you, you have a following, you are popular because of the, the image that you can portray, how you look, and, and maybe perhaps what you can do. You get elected based on image. But these things are, are, these things are way less important to God than what's going on in the inner person. God looks at the heart. He, he says so much as this. In, in the Old Testament, there's a story about uh, Samuel the prophet. He's to come and anoint a king over Israel. And he goes to this family, and there's a whole bunch of sons. And he identifies Eliab. And I, I don't know, the, the Bible doesn't say much about him, but he must have been big and buff and just exude confidence or whatever because Samuel says, surely this must be the one. But God says, no, not the buff guy. Uh, I look at the heart. And Samuel later anoints David to be the king of Israel. God looks at the heart. When Jesus is walking um, amongst people in the first century and all these religious leaders are around him, he says, you know, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The heart is just so very important. It really matters. So this morning, let's, let's do a quick survey of the New Testament and just look at a f- couple of uh, thoughts. Um, what is the heart actually, what is it, is, is it about? And first of all, it is the place of affections and emotions. So Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about money, he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So whatever you have affection for, whatever you really value, that's where your heart is going to be. In Luke chapter 21, it talks about don't let your heart be weighed down with other concerns other than God. The heart is a place of of feeling. It's a place of sorrow or joy. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to be leaving them. And he says, why are you sorrowful in heart? So the the heart is is a feeling place of affections and emotions. It's also the place of desire. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, my heart's desire is that all Israel would be saved. It's also the place and the source of evil or good. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, comes sexual immorality, comes adultery, comes murders, comes covetousness, comes pride. That's the source of it, out of the heart. Later in Luke uh, chapter 6, it talks about how out of a good person's heart, good things come. Out of an evil person's heart, evil things come. And the heart is also a place of doubt and or faith. It's also a place of understanding. Let me back up to that. Place of understanding. Matthew 13, it talks about how people can't understand because their hearts are hardened. To understand in your heart means that, you know, we all, we all understand how you can know something intellectually. It's another thing for it to go deep within your inner being where you, you know that you know and you believe it. That's what the heart does. That's the understanding of the heart. And it can, it can be hardened, Jesus said. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays for the church there right, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened for the purpose that they would know God. It's a place of understanding. Lastly, it's a place of doubt and or faith. We read some amazing words in Romans chapter 10, which refers to the role of the heart in in coming into a living relationship with God. It says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The heart is the place of faith. So as we look at this sort of scan of the heart and how the Bible presents it to us, it, it's, a, it's an inner place, a place of affection and emotion, a place of desire, a place of deep connection or understanding, a place of trust. No wonder the heart is an image or symbol of love because in a great love relationship, this is exactly what you would want to have existing in that relationship, affection, desire, understanding, connection, trust. I've done many marriages in my uh, role as a pastor over the years, and I've never, ever sat down with a couple that has wanted their relationship in marriage to end up in dysfunction. That's never anybody's goal. Oh, yeah, when we get married, like five years out, we can see ourselves in a place where we're totally not committed to one another. Like, we'll be committed on the odd days of the week. Or, yeah, in five years from now, we imagine ourselves in a place where we just don't understand each other at all, and there's no intimacy. I mean, that would be crazy. Everybody enters into a relationship with this dream of affection and emotion and, and aligned wills and aligned trust and heart. Is it any wonder then that Scripture gives us a picture of God's people in relationship to Him as that with, of a, bride, a, a groom with His bride? That's the picture of the church with Jesus. That Jesus loves His church as a groom who wants His bride to flourish and thrive with Him. Jesus, God, desires a love relationship with us. It's amazing. Very amazing. God made the first move to make this possible. And not only did he make the move to make it possible, but having made that move, he empowers us to fulfill the command that Jesus has given us here to love God with all your heart. You see, in the Old Testament, as you read about the people's relationship with God, there's just so much failure. So many times where the people just completely disregard what, what God is all about and, and what he's asked them to do. So that God says, you know, one day I'm going to I'm have to change all this. So that when Jesus came and he suffered and died and he rose from the dead and those who believe in him, the, the, the access to God has been cleared so that can happen. God, did, God also with that gave his people a new heart. We read in Acts chapter 15 where the, some of the leaders of the church have to explain how the Gentiles are now uh, people of faith and brought into the kingdom of God. And they talk about how God also made no distinction between Jew and Gentile. And how did they describe salvation? As they described it as having their, clan, their hearts cleansed by faith. When, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, God cleanses our heart. One of the symbols of baptism is, is water and cleansing. This is what happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 8, it talks about the prophecy of Ezekiel, an Old Testament prophet, who said that one day, through what Jesus is going to do, and they called it a new covenant, God's going to give his people a new heart. He's going to write his laws in their heart. He's going to write his laws in their mind. 
And we know this has happened because we are told in 2 Corinthians that the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to the believer and takes residence in their heart. Follower of Jesus, you need to know this morning that God has set you up for success to fulfill the very command he's given to us, knowing that that command is going to bring us into a place of flourishing with him. He's given you a new heart. He's given you his spirit. And that spirit works in, within us both to will and to do of God's good pleasure. Our role is to live out who God has made us to be and what he has done for us. But I know some of you are sitting here this morning and you confess Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, and you know that sometimes in your heart it's not where it should be. Your affections, your emotions, your desires, God isn't number one. You know that something else has replaced God as the primary place to which your, your affections and your desires and your trust are being placed. What do we do about that? James Smith, who wrote a book called You Are What You Love, he talks about the heart being so important in our following of Jesus. Yes, what we think is, is, is very critical, but he says that our heart, our affections, it's our desires so often that are drawn away from God and overrule our best logic so that we don't even do what we, want, we think we should do. Smith says, God has created us for himself and our hearts are designed to find their end in him. Yet many spend their days restlessly craving rival gods frenetically pursuing rival kingdoms. The subconscious longings of our hearts are aimed and directed elsewhere. And you see this with real examples in Scripture. So James, in his letter to the dispersion of Christian believers, he writes to them, and in chapter 3 of his letter, he warns them about what's going on in their hearts, that there shouldn't be selfish ambition and jealousy. In the next chapter, in chapter 4, he says, indeed, there are quarrels and fightings among you. He says, you know, that there's this craving of your desires. That's heart language. And then he says these very tough words in James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These were God's people, the dispersed believers throughout and you can read on and you read about individuals like Demas, one of, one of Paul's co-leaders, he says, who's left us having loved this present world rather than God. We read about the church in Ephesus in Revelation, how Jesus comes to it and says, you've left your first love. And yet the way for us to, to uh, love God back for all that he's done for us, for all that he's given us, is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. I'm going to suggest a couple things that help us stay in that place. The first of all is simply to guard it. Our relationship with God, with our affections and our desires, is too valuable not to be very intentional about keeping it and guarding it. You know, a while back we were living in Vancouver, and in the area we were living, um, our house was broken into. And when somebody breaks into your house, you just feel really violated. It just... 
it really upsets you. And sure, they stole some stuff, but we had young kids and at the time, and, and you, you're concerned about their safety. Well, like, what would have happened if he'd have come when the kids were home? And so uh, we decided, let's get an alarm. But just before we got the alarm installed, they broke in again. But this is what we do. Things that we really value, we, we protect in some way. We put an alarm in our car. You probably have a password for your computer on your phone. You've got a, a thumbprint that got, lets you get in or doesn't let you get in. Why do you do that? Because you care. Because that stuff is valuable to you. How much more is our relationship, our love relationship with God, something that we should so care about that we guard it? And then I think um, we need to recalibrate. This is something James Smith talks about. The recalibration of our hearts. It begins with drawing near. I'm convinced that one of the ways to ignite our hearts in our relationship with God the best way is simply to come into his presence. Simply to make room in your life where you can just be with God. I was reminded of that uh, this last week. It was quite a great week for me. Um, you know, you're going to get used to grandfather's stories, and so this is one of them. Please bear with me. But I, uh, a year ago, January, first grandson, and a year later... A uh, daughter and her husband are pregnant with their second one due middle of May. Okay, so there's a clearer announcement if you didn't get it last time. And uh, so they decide we're going to go to Hawaii before this next baby comes and leave the, the you know, the one-year-old grandson with some really uh, responsible people. I was one of them. I, just so exciting. They considered me one of those. It turned out through the week, we hadn't planned it this way originally, but he was over at my place for four nights. One of those nights, I had him like from 5, 6 o'clock right through till like 1 o'clock the next day. Uh, so for those of you that are single parents, like I just bless you and I say, how, how do you do it? And amazing what you're doing. So this week though, uh, I really loved my grandchild at the beginning of the week. <laughs> Come on! But let me tell you, after spending, oh man, after spending four nights with him where I get to hold him in my arms while he gets cuddly and sleepy and rock him, put him in his crib or whatever you call that, play and pack, pack and play, put the soother in, stroke his head as his eyes begin to like if I loved him at the beginning of the week, the love that I feel for him now is just like I almost need to go see a cardiac specialist. I truly believe that when we do this in our relationship with God, that when we just come to him, when we just draw near to him, our hearts will be inflamed with love because God is love. Now, you might be thinking, well, um, you have no idea how bad I've been or how far I've gone. Well, actually, if you read on in James, these adulterous people, James says to them, draw near to God. Like, it's, 
like take the worst case scenario, James is saying, draw near to God. And yes, it may require some repentance. Like you can't come to God under pretense. Just change your mind, admit, what, admit what's wrong, but come to God because God is not there to judge you, to condemn you. He's there. He sent his son. He made you a son and daughter. He gave you his Holy Spirit so that you can relate together with one another in a deep, growing love relationship. Draw near. And secondly, and we don't have time to go into all of these that, that I want to talk about, but I would say open. I, don't, I just felt like this is one of the key things for us to hear this morning. That when you draw near to God, do so by opening up your heart. You see, sometimes we've been in a relationship with somebody and they've heard us. And what happens when people hurt us, when we become vulnerable, when we open ourselves up? We're a little bit less likely to open up our hearts the next time. And we do that then with God going forward. But God has made himself completely open, if you will, and vulnerable to us. He sent his son and in his sovereign grace allows people, in our view of sovereignty, allows people to reject the love that he gave in his precious son to turn away from him. But we can approach God completely open-hearted knowing that he will never reject us, never turn us away from him. And it's in those places of openness that we grow deeper in our love relationship with God. David was called the man after God's own heart. Ever read some of his psalms? See how open he was with God? I encourage you, bring your frustrations, bring your sadness, bring your sorrow, bring your joy, bring who you are. Don't fake it in your relationship with God. Come to him and you will experience a growing depth of love as you do, as you're real with him, because that's what God wants. He wants to be in a love relationship with you, who you really are, and he loves you exactly the way you are. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion shortly. It's an opportunity for us to remember, which I believe is part of recalibrating, as we remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. It's an opportunity to, uh, in a way, afresh receive all that God has done for us. Like Jesus went all this trouble, let's not reject it, just receive it. And it's an opportunity for us to worship him as we reflect on all that God has done for us, just showing us how very deeply he loves us. God made the first move, and his great commandment is an invitation for us to enter into the greatest experience of love you could ever imagine. So Father, I just want to pray for us this morning and as Paul prayed, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our heart, Lord, to grasp not just in our heads, Lord, but in the deep places of who we are, who you are, Father, how much you love us, what you've made us to be. And God, may that translate into, into joy. May that translate into service. May that translate into obedience. And Lord, may it certainly translate into passionate, full-on, heartfelt worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.